and welcome back. It's another instalment of Empire of the Cop Insider with the lovely Neil Jones. Neil, how are you keeping? Yeah, I'm very well, thanks. Yeah, you good? Yeah, not too bad, not too bad. I mean, City uh, City against Liverpool is obviously a fixture that carried um, a great deal of anxiety, perhaps for both uh, sets of fans, uh, as it as it tends to. But I mean, Liverpool really showed, even obviously as a side in transition, uh, that this is a team that can and will challenge for top honours this season. Yeah, I think so. I think it shows. You know, I think it shows it's still got a way to go. But I, I think you have to you have to view it as progress. I, I've, I've, I'm a little bit surprised by the sort of the general chatter around the game from from certain quarters. You know, this idea that sort of there was a a gulf between the between the sides. I think City were the better team, but you would look, you would sort of expect them to be at home. They were they were the better team often when Liverpool were were at their very best. Uh, you know, at the Etihad. So I don't think I don't think it was a game that sort of should set any alarm bells ringing with Liverpool. I think it, it tells them that they're not quite there yet. But I do think perhaps from a City perspective, I think there might be a, um, an element of frustration, not just at the fact that they dropped some points, but the fact that maybe their levels have dropped as well. So, um, yeah, I, I think Liverpool might take some frustration from it of their own in that they maybe, maybe felt like if they'd had a bit more quality, they actually could have got more from the game or they could have got, you know, caused City even more problems. I think they were City were the better team generally, but Liverpool I think were the more dangerous team when they had the ball or, or had more dangerous situations when they had the ball. They just didn't make the most of them. And you think of the first half with obviously with Darwin Nunez having having a, a, a loose touch in the penalty area, you know, a huge save from from Edison from the header. There were other chances you thought where maybe Sobislai could have pulled the trigger or Curtis Jones might have pulled the trigger. In the second half there was a chance with Diaz you know, doesn't get enough on a, on a ball that really would set up a good counter-attack. So, Liverpool definitely had their moments. They didn't maybe play, you know, the best level. And I suppose that's whether your glass is half full or your glass is half empty. Or do you look and say, well, God, what's it going to be like when we do play at our best level? Or do you look at it and say, ah, if only we had... I don't know. I, I tend to kind of think maybe more half glass full in this one because I think, you know, oftentimes we aren't talking even about a point at the Etihad. I mean, the City's. I mean, we've hold the day winning runner as well, wasn't it? Isn't it well, so, that, that, games? so they'd won they'd won 23 straight games in, in the, the year 2023. Um, 23 straight games at the Etihad. I, you think of obviously, you know, okay, yeah, they win a lot of games. They seem to win the Champions League sort of four or five quite regularly, don't they? But, you know, they've played Real Madrid. They've played, obviously, you know, Manchester United, Chelsea, Arsenal in, in that period. Um, Liverpool, obviously, as well. So, you know, they've, they've, and they've not dropped a single point in, in that time. They've actually only been behind at the Etihad in the calendar year for 23 minutes, which, just, you know, is absolutely staggering. It shows the level that they're at. Um, in terms of consistency, I, I listened to a few few people. I, you know, I listened to Kyle Walker on the on the radio um, on Saturday, and he was saying, "Oh, this is nowhere near the best Liverpool side we've faced." Now, he's right. You know, okay, yeah, you're right, but he didn't beat them. Um, and also, what you compare them really is you compare them to one of the all-time great teams. You know, you, you you're talking about sort of. You know, and I think you could also flip it and say this is nowhere near the best city side of the pool of face. You know, even even despite that record, so you are you sort of what you're doing is you shine the light. Maybe you're judging these two teams on on past past um, meetings between them, which were 
meetings of, like I say, two of the best teams in Premier League history, two of the best teams in these respective clubs' history. Um, two sides which won European Cups, which won you know countless Premier Leagues, which set points records, which you know ninety plus. Um, maybe you, you might say from Saturday's evidence that these two sides are a little bit away from that level, but still pretty good. A Liverpool are within one point of a team that's you know won everything in the last few months. I think ultimately we're allies, we have to bear in mind this is the start of a transition. Even City are transitioning uh, to a certain degree, perhaps not as stark as our transition has been. You know, completely reshaping our midfield but to you know to come away from this position with a point i think is phenomenal uh, one thing that certainly stood out as well sort of further back um is the centre-back partnership uh virgil van dyke and jean matip um is it fair to say that that is the the partnership going forward it seems a bit harsh on when you're looking at sort of a player of Kunati's sort of quality but i thought you know certainly matip's attributes seem to be quite valuable in a game like that sort of bring yeah. the ball out of the back line um, City, perhaps, maybe is it fair to say, didn't really know what to do, almost do with it at times. Um, yeah. I mean, it's, it's mad to say that sort of after last the season he had prior, but that seems to be the case now. And obviously, this is a team that's built on meritocracy. So, is that fair yeah. to say? Do we, do we keep going? No, no, I don't think so because I think there's so many games coming up in, in December, and you know, you think just in the next fortnight, you've got you've got Lask. Fulham and then two away games, Crystal Palace and Sheffield United. So I think there'll be changes to, to all of the pretty much all of the positions in in the next few weeks. But I think what you would say is in the big games at the moment, I think Matthew is probably edged ahead. You know, if you if you were talking about a, a must win game or a cup final game or that kind of thing, you know, trip to City, I think he's probably just edged ahead on form. And you know, I think he, I think he's been in better form than Canate this season. I think Canate's been decent enough, but you know, I think there's been a few worries about him. Um, or not necessarily would he's just a few you know yeah he hasn't re- maybe reached his levels uh, yet he's had obviously some injury issues um, or in- fitness concerns more so um, I thought yeah I, I, I would have started Canate I, I would have probably gone down the, the negative viewpoints and started Canate because I would have been worried about the pace of, of, of Doku um, but I think yeah, he went for the positive option in terms of Matip and said, well, what about when we've got the ball? You know, we want we want our better ball playing centre back, and he is. I mean, there are a few better than him at, at carrying the ball into midfield, and you saw the run he went on in the first half when, um, you know, it ended with with Nunez's header saved by by Edison. Not many centre backs can do that in 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 any in any league, never mind the Premier League. So, um, and never mind against City. There was another one in the first half, I think, very early on, where he, he was overlapping Trent down the right, and he was thinking, "Hang on, Joel, come on, let's let's um, let's think about this." But that's that's the, the endeavour or the adventure that he's got. Canati's not really that type of centre back. He's a lot more of a, you know, a, he's a, a better athlete and he's a, he's a better um, he's a stronger player than 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 um, But I think he'll I think he'll develop into being a better player all round. But his qualities may be better suited to, to different types of games. Um, keeping them fit will be the main thing, won't it? Keep, keeping these players fit. And, you know, you've got you have got five potential centre back options there. If you count Jarrell Quanzer as well, so keeping as many of them fit, so you can rotate and you can sort of take Matip out when there's a, a midweek game, or you can bring in, um, you know, Canate, or you can you can match up. Depending on what type of opponent you're facing, that's going to be key because Liverpool, you know, we've, we're going to talk about injuries, I'm sure, um, in the next few minutes. But Liverpool need as many of their players fit as possible in this, you know, massive run coming up to Christmas. 
No, injuries are certainly going to come up very shortly. I just want to touch up on um, one other sort of player quite quickly. And one decision I was actually quite glad Jurgen made was regarding starting Curtis Jones. Um, I thought when you're coming to a game like this at the Etihad, you're probably going to accept you're not going to have the larger share of possession. Um, I think Curtis is kind of an integral player to sort of cutting that deficit uh, slightly. Um, I mean, a bit rusty, it's fair to say, but you know, coming back from that injury and into a game of such magnitude, I think, I don't know, I think he did all right. I don't, I don't know <laughs> what you said, it was sort of yeah. coming, coming think, out of it. I think he'd feel, I think, yeah, he'd feel that he did, he did okay when he had the ball, but I think there, there could have been a, bit, a few moments where you'd have liked to have seen him be a little bit more forceful in, in, in just everything he did, whether that was whether that was winning the ball or whether it was it was passing it with real purpose. So it's been a criticism, I suppose, of Curtis that he, he keeps the ball really well, but does he does he hurt teams often enough? And I think he had a couple of chances in the game where he could have been a little bit more, um, you know, decisive with his pass. Obviously, he was he was he was taken off now. I don't think Liverpool's pressing worked particularly well in the first half. You know, I think they they were caught a little bit, and it's difficult against City, isn't it? Because they're so good in terms of the mix-up that they've got. You know, they, they they're all comfortable in tight spaces, but they've also got someone like Edison who can you know he can break a line of your team, take six players out with one pass, you know, without it even going in the air like he did. I think there was one pass he played to Bernardo Silva, which you know ended with a chance for, for City towards the end. So I think that maybe makes it a bit more difficult to just say, oh, you can't just put a high press on City. You know, they they can play through that quite comfortably. And Curtis obviously is the, the leader of that. And you saw that a few times in the first half that he was trying to lead that. I think he maybe lost a little bit of heart at times um, in that. I wasn't too surprised when he was taken off. I actually thought, I would, I personally would have started Gravenberg for the game. Um, on account of what he actually did, and I was quite pleased. I said on another show on Friday why I would start Gravenberg, and the reason it was was what he'd actually did for the equalising goal was that the ability to just dribble past a couple of players. And I thought that with with City, I thought you could talk about keeping the ball, but actually, what causes City the biggest amount of problems is travelling with the ball. And we saw Chelsea do it really well with with Cole Palmer with Sterling, um, and I, I wanted to see Liverpool do it a bit more with with, with players. And I thought Gravenberg might have been the perfect person to do it. Obviously, you saw what he did for the equalising goal. He came on and ghosted past Rodri, played the ball down the down the flank, and Liverpool ended up getting a goal from it. So, yeah, those two different types of players competing for the same spot. I don't think there was anything that you sort of come away from and said, "Well, okay, that's that finalised." And um, you know, he's moved ahead of him. I think it's another one where you're looking at horses for courses at times and saying, "Well, okay, what type of game is it going to be? How much space is it going to be?" What are they training like? What's their mood like? Their fitness like? And yeah, you've got decent options there. You know, you didn't even talk about. Obviously, we didn't even talk about Harvey Elliott um, as as a potential starter, but he's been in excellent form uh, for for Liverpool and for England under twenty ones this season. So at least they've got some players who are in, in good form, good options, and yeah, can bring something different each time they're picked. No, I suppose it comes back to that debate you almost have about Matip and Canati. You know, do you set it positively or negatively yeah. regarding you know City? And you know, you you almost yeah. say positively in the back line, perhaps maybe slightly negatively with the inclusion of Curtis at the start instead of uh, Gravenberg. Again, it's, it's a tough one, isn't it? Because you do, as you do say, yeah. have the discussion as well. There's so many players you can give credit to this season who are yeah. bench players at the time for the time being. Yeah, and you couldn't. I mean, you could have argued that Gakpo played the last game. 
before the international break as as, as in a midfield player. They won. They beat Brentford. So you could have said, okay, well, just keep it, keep him in there. And he's another player who's maybe a better dribbler or a better you know ball carrier. Um, I, you know, I, I, me personally, I don't think it was a negative selection to pick Curtis. I think it was a big statement for of 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 trust in him. You know, to to meet get the nod in a game like that. I wouldn't say he sort of he absolutely repaid that faith, but. You know, he's clearly someone who's got the trust of the manager. You know, and and that's that's what he's been looking for really, isn't it? Over the last couple of years, you know, he's he's been dying to sort of get that run of games and that 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 chance to say that you know, okay, even if I have a a dodgy game or I have a, a you know a, a disappointing game, you'll still put your your faith in me and pick me again. And I'm sure we'll see Curtis in the Premier League again starting soon enough. I mean, we have to talk about injuries as well, as you mentioned uh, previously. Obviously, the big ones to Diego Jota and uh, Alison Becker. Would you to um, receive further updates about this today? I believe I, think I saw your uh, Substack for covering Liverpool uh, this morning. Um, I mean, you could argue to a certain degree that you certainly wouldn't want to see it happen that Liverpool could get away good away with a relatively longish in period for Diego Jota, bearing in mind the firepower they have in reserve. But um, can't really make the same case uh, for Alisson. I mean, obviously the fixture list is slightly generous. Uh, we've got last coming up, and then it's Fulham, Sheffield United, Palace, uh, Union Saint Gilles, uh, before then meetings with United, West Ham in the Cup, and of course the big one at home uh, to Arsenal. Uh, that that is one player we really don't want to see handed, you know, a severe kind of hamstring tear that sees him out for potentially yeah. months on end. Is it? Yeah, and no, I'd say the same about Jota as well. Actually, um, I don't, I don't think Liverpool want to be without any any player for less than for more than a couple of weeks at this stage. And you know, you say that Liverpool have got a lot of firepower, but they play three of them um, of the of the five, and that means you've only have one on the bench, and that means they're going to have to put a little bit more strain on the other forward. So you don't you don't want to be without any any um, player at this stage. Allison, yeah, you, look, we're all I think we're all just hoping it's a, a very minor hamstring issue. Um, it did look to be hampering him, didn't it? I mean, my hope, my 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 overall overriding hope is that he was just trying to time waste, and that he was trying to sort of you know stop City's sort of train in the final minutes, and he was just trying to sort of keep them, you know, um, kid on a little bit by by going down injured. But I didn't look like it did it when he when he was clearing the ball, and he was, he, I mean, he was doing some strange clearances in the second half, and I wonder whether that was influenced by his his hamstring. Um, yeah, it didn't look didn't look like we're going to be seeing him. I, I mean, probably wouldn't have seen him on Thursday, but it doesn't look like we'll be seeing him next week, does it? Um, and then you've obviously got two away games after that. You'd say, wouldn't you? But, you know, Sheffield United and Crystal Palace, okay, we can and Fulham, we can we can cope. Um, but like you say, you've got those those big games coming up. You've got that Manchester United game, that Arsenal game. You'd want to have your, your number one back for those. So, fingers crossed. It's a it's a good news injury story. Fingers crossed. Same with Jota, um, who obviously is a little bit more worrying than that. He was, you know, it was early in the second half and he's gone down and couldn't carry on. Um, which, yeah, I don't think that's going to be a minor thing uh, or a nothing thing. Um, but yeah, we're just hoping it's weeks and not months. And especially for someone like Jota as well, you know, you saw how badly he was missed last season with a muscle. A muscle issue had a calf uh, tear, didn't he? Which kept him out for sort of best part of three or four months. Um, and you saw how, how much he was missed, not necessarily 
you know, him himself will have an extra option on the bench or having an extra option to come in and rotation. Obviously, the ability to score goals and to, to, to create goals. And he's been in pretty good form this season for Liverpool generally. Jota, you know, he's got a lot of goals, a lot of assists. Um, and he's done well for Portugal. So, yeah, you you want you want this to be a, a an update where it's weeks, not months, or it's it's a week, not a month, because a month can cost Liverpool an awful lot with these two. Uh, fingers crossed there. Certainly be huge, huge misses uh, for this uh, Liverpool squad. Um, but you know, we are we are coming into sort of December period, so inevitably uh, transfer stories will start to heat up <laughs> again. Um, I, I mean, there's been a lot of sort of movement on this in sort of recent weeks, particularly when it comes to the uh, holding midfield role. Uh, we've reportedly moved from moved on from Andre to consider alternative uh, targets. I, I believe the Echo released a story suggesting now that we, we're not even considering um, the targets for the holding midfield uh, role. And I, I just want to sort of get your your view on this generally, because th- there has been a lot of debate when it comes to McAllister's sort of suitability, uh, suitability for the role. Uh, but again, I think, you know, Many were sort of looking ahead at the sort of city time, going, "Well, you know, he started quite reasonably well, but you know that's going to be the litmus test. If we can get through that, that's going to be a real sort of indication of to what extent Liverpool need to press the panic button and get someone in." And I, McAllister goes and has a, a very good game at the Etihad. It, it's worth emphasising. Right? I think obviously Klopp's comments prior to the game are quite interesting because he, he says, "Oh, you know, is Macker a natural born six? No, has football developed in the last few ways uh, in, w- in ways we which wouldn't have imagined? Yes, does that mean Macker can play the six? Uh, yes, we can benefit. We have a compact formation. Um, it, there is the acknowledgement there that he's not sort of you know the number six for the number six role, but in the modern sort of state of play in football, he, he does." play a role you know he's you know he's valuable on the half turn he's reliable in possession his, his passing accuracy I think at the Etihad was about 93 percent that's pretty good you'd have to think because it's not going to be 93 percent without a lack of pressure um it, it's extraordinary numbers really I might even go as far as saying it, it, do you get the impression that the club have reached a point where they've kind of gone well actually Maybe we need to consider this as the long-term option, or is it merely a case of going? Well, we looked at Andre, but now because Mac has been so good in this role, we, we, not that we almost need to be better than Andre, but it, it has to be someone who can come in and, and say, "Well, I can do all of this and more." Yeah, it has to be someone better than Andre. I think that it's clear, isn't it? Listen, they signed two midfielders since we were linked with Andre. They've signed Wataro Endo and they've signed Ryan Gravenberg. Now. For me, they don't sign Endo if they're going to sign Andre because Endo's 30. So you're bringing in someone who does that role and then you're going to bring in someone who's 22 and he's just as unproven, you know, less proven, actually, in, in terms of top-level football. Um, it doesn't make sense. And then they, they, they don't even play Endo. They play, obviously, they play McAllister. So I, I think it has to be someone who's absolutely nailed on to, to improve Liverpool's team straight away if they're going to sign a holding midfielder or someone whose potential is so elite that you can't, you can't ignore it and you can't argue that, that they're going to be an elite player. Um, so I'm not surprised at the Andre um, situation. We'll see, obviously, whether injuries, like we say, you know, change, change the, the course a little bit in, in the next month or so. And it, it, it can easily happen. We've already seen... Know, potentially the goalkeeper and a forward go down. It wouldn't be beyond the realms for a midfielder or two to start following in the next few weeks. Um, 
I think the McAllister thing is really interesting because Klopp keeps going on about compact, compact Liverpool. And Liverpool, when Liverpool are compact, McAllister looks great. He really does look good. You know, you see him. There's a little clip yesterday, I think, um, or from Saturday, I don't know if you saw it, where Liverpool play around City in, in a sort of 10-yard space. And it starts from McAllister and it sort of slides into, I think, Darwin to Curtis. And they, they play out and, it, and it's six or seven Liverpool players around the ball and they're out so quickly. And you think, wow, that, that, was, that was impressive football. And they did that a few times in the game. And often it was McAllister with the first pass or McAllister with the ball win. Um, you think of the goal that Liverpool scored. I think that comes from obviously Allison making a save and McAllister being the man to pick up the ball and, and play the first pass out. Um, so he has got he has got real qualities that can be used there. Liverpool have got to avoid. And you saw it. I mean, listen, I know it's Jeremy Doku and you know I think he would have gone past a lot of people in the world. Um, but they've got to avoid situations like that where McAllister's got space around them and players are isolating them one-on-one because we've seen he doesn't have the pace, he doesn't have the you know the, the, the one-on-one strength to sort of win those kind of duels. He very much needs a team around him where he can use his brain, he can use his positional play, he can use, obviously, his, his on-the-ball qualities. Um, and Liverpool have been working towards that and that's why I'm, I would be a little bit surprised if they completely changed tack now in January and went and bought an old-school number six, you know, Fabinho, and sort of went, right, we're going to start going back down the old route and I'm going to have runners in midfield. You know, they, they've, they've consciously moved their midfield towards being more technical and more sort of, um, you know, what would you call it? More sort of progressive. Um, and McAllister's a big part of that. And whether you think he's playing well or not, or he has played well. I had a comment on my Substack this week which said if he was English, he'd have been dropped by now, which I don't really agree with. But that tells you that there is a, a bit of a doubt from from some of the supporters about his form. Whether you think that or not, look at what Jürgen does. Every time he's available, every time he Liverpool have a game and, and McAllister's fit and available, he's in the starting lineup and he's in that as a number six. So Liverpool definitely have faith in him. And yeah, I think that will that will colour what they do in the transfer market in January certainly. We'll see about next summer. You know, there might be there might be room for manoeuvre next summer if they want to want to change the team up again. But I think for now, I think Liverpool are committing to this idea that they're going to have a more technically minded midfield. And the, the job for the manager is to make sure that it's it's like he keeps saying compact and it, you know it's it's more ready to to do all the um, the number six bits as a team as opposed to just putting on one individual. I think with the criticism, do you feel it sort of? boils down to some quarters of the fan base struggling to almost process the fact that we have moved on from that lighthouse, that destroyer role, effectively, you know, Liverpool's midfield is different. I mean, a lot about Liverpool's squad is different. You know, we're not as quite reliant on on our fullbacks for creativity. But, you know, is is it that transition that sort of some sort of struggle? Because you do look at the performances and think, well, He's kind of doing what Klopp wants. We, we are transitioning to more possession-based sort of style of football. In in that sense, you know, McAllister is fulfilling that. Yeah, I mean, I suppose it, it, it's, it is weird, isn't it? I mean, Liverpool, until the weekend, and obviously by, by dint of conceding one goal against Manchester City, Liverpool have got now got the second best defence record in the Premier League. So whatever whatever you might think about them being too weak or open or not, not, being strong enough in those positions, they're not doing too bad, are they? Defensively, they've conceded fewer goals than City, who've got the best number six um, in in the Premier League in in, in Rodri. 
you know, Chelsea signed Moises Casado and uh, Enzo Fernandez. I, I've actually just had to scroll to find it on the on the uh, on the league table. They conceded twenty goals in thirteen games, and they've lost five games. So that tells you that it's not just about oh we need a number six and that changes everything and you, you become a more robust team. You have to have everything else around it, don't you? And I think I think maybe the, I think maybe with McAllister, possibly there was a there was an idea of what he was as a player, you know, and people thought that maybe we'd see him playing final passes and scoring goals and shooting from outside the box and doing these, you know, sort of highlight reel kind of things that you're going, oh, wow, like, what a, what a player. And I think he's probably, because he's been so far away from goal, it's harder to spot the good things that he does in a game sometimes. You know, it's harder to see it, you know, when he plays a real nice pass into someone's feet or, he, you know, he, he, he reads the game well and he steps across and he wins a pass and wins a tackle, but it's not actually him winning the tackle because it's someone else pressing the ball and he just picks up the, the sort of the bit. It's harder sometimes to spot that. And I think especially when it's a, a smaller or a you know a less physically dominant player, you remember the moments when they, they they get dominated. You remember the moments when they end up you know sort of shrugged off by like I say like a Jeremy Docker or, or they shrugged off by an Erling Haaland. You, you sort of it notices more, doesn't it, when you think, oh wow, like he looked exposed there, you know, as a as a player. Um, I don't think there's anything. I don't think there's anything to be concerned about with McAllister as a player. I think his form's been. It can be better. He can play better. There's been games where he hasn't played particularly well, but I don't have any concerns over him as being a good enough player to play for Liverpool long term. I don't have any concerns over him being able to play in this team um, and being able to be a very effective player. Uh, I think the question would be rather, would he be more effective in Curtis Jones's position at City with with another player behind him, or is he is this his most effective role for Liverpool? I think. I don't know is the answer. I don't know. And I think the fact that Jürgen's played them in this role pretty much predominantly in this season tells you that he feels the role is, is the deeper one. I mean, if Jürgen's happy, then, you know, I think... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've done it. I mean, you think back, just, just think back to Gini Wijnaldum when he signed. I think I think there was a, I think there was a similar mood towards Wijnaldum in maybe his first three months at Liverpool. He was signed as this player who scored sort of 10, 12 goals for Newcastle from midfield. He was known as this goal-scorer midfield player. And he came to Liverpool, and I remember the sort of vibe being a little bit like, well, what does he do? You know, he doesn't, you know, he's not really sort of... He's not a dominant midfield player who wins loads of headers and tackles. He's not scoring many, many goals. He's not, he's not particularly quick, you know, sort of running past people. But he was neat and tidy and, he, you know, he's he done all the sort of general bits quite well. I think McAllis is not dissimilar to that. You know, he, he's, he's a very smart footballer. He's a, you know, mature player. He looks to me like he's got a good temperament. He doesn't look like he's phased by, by surroundings or situations. You know, he looks like someone that if you look across in the dressing room and you see that you're going into battle with someone like him, you think, yeah, come on, we'll, we'll, you know, he'd be up for this alongside us. So, yeah, I don't, I don't have any concerns over McAllister. Um, I think, I think I probably would have liked to have seen him a little bit more as a number eight, just to see whether he might have actually added something even more to this team. But, Liverpool have got a lot of good number eights and like I say, they're, they're getting results and they're, they're doing quite well in the league. So, it's not like it's a sort of, you know, a, God, this needs fixing, you know, because we're winning, we're in dire straits. Liverpool are actually in a decent position, so yeah, long way that continue. I mean, I almost wonder, would you get as much 
not not that he doesn't have the attributes, but because of the way Liverpool's midfield is sort of set up now, you, you know, so Bosley on the right, and then on the left, I, I think he tends to sort of keep the ball a bit more. You know, it's there's yeah. less there's less emphasis, I suppose, at times on doing what the Bosley does. Yeah. Would you? I, I do wonder to a certain degree. Say, if you have McAllister on the left, so Bosley on the right, and then a nat well a natural number six. Would you would you be getting as much as people expect out of McAllister? Or would he similarly be sort of expected to hold on to the ball a bit more in comparison to Sabal's life? Yeah, absolutely. And you know, you could argue when you get even less space, you know, if you're playing in that role, you've obviously have probably have similar defensive shortcomings because you, you you've got to protect the flank. You've got to go and protect usually very quick players who play on the flank. So you'd have you know you'd have Sabozlai, sorry, you'd have McAllister having to sort of double up with, with Simicast against, you know, against the Phil Foden and people like that. So, you know, you you, you would still, there would still be the, the potential for issues to emerge in terms of what we're talking about with, with McAllister's physicality and, and covering spaces. And maybe, yeah, you might find that he's not as effective because he's not having, you know, he's playing with, with like with his back to goal more, more you know, he's, he's sort of playing sort of safe passes a little bit more and you're not getting the sort of full benefit from him. He's definitely got... He's, he, you can see it when he when he when he plays. I think I think he hasn't been his quality hasn't been as high as he'd like it to be. But you can see the quality that he's got when he wraps passes into Nunez's feet or to Sobislai or he you know he, he gets those those little first time ones out of out of a dangerous area. He's got that. In, he's definitely got that in his locker more so than you know people like Jordan Henderson and Fabinho who played that role successfully in the past or even a James Milner people like that. So he's got. Attributes that can be really effective for Liverpool. I think the big thing, keep going back to it, I sound like Jürgen myself now, the big thing is having people around them. And when Liverpool can break or can break the play up as a as a three or a four, as opposed to expecting one player to do it, um, they're, they're far more effective. And when they have Curtis or they have Gravenberg or they have Soberslay around McAllister and they're biting, they're, they're hunting the ball together, that's when the number six becomes a sort of a team effort as opposed to a, a, an individual one. No, absolutely. Absolutely. But it leads me on to um, the next part of the topic, really, which is um, centre-backs. Really. Because if we're not looking at sort of holding the fillers or, or, you know, keeping it on the back burner sort of comparatively, um, I'm, I'm very interested to see what the club do in the market regarding that because it, it, it's still, it's such, I mean, we've talked about this so or so many other sort of podcasts, haven't we? It's a very, very tricky uh, position to fill here because you're looking for yeah. someone young, left-footed, happy to play on the bench, um, but yeah. has well, no, left-sided, yeah. left-sided. Left yeah. Left-footed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. It, it's a, it's a tough um, brief, isn't it? I think, I think there's a couple of things that you you would say are possible. One would be a young, young centre back left-sided centre-back um, who is viewed as elite and is available. So, you know, someone who's really 17, 18, 19. Um, the other would be a, a centre-back that you've identified as a long-term target who suddenly becomes available in, in January, a la a Luis Diaz situation or a, a Cody Gapo situation. Um, obviously, different positions. So, that would be the one. I don't I don't think Liverpool don't need to go and buy a, a short-term Centre back, they don't. They're not dead yet. <laughs> Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. It stays that way. They don't need to do it when when the window opens. They don't need to go and get a body in because they have enough. I've just mentioned five there earlier. You know, Gladden Corners has established himself enough, certainly for cup games and for you know 
certain Premier League games that you'd say, well, if he has to play, that's not a problem. Gerard Quanza can, can play at centre back for Liverpool in in you know within reason. Joel Matip's done well, obviously this season. Canate's got more to come. Van Dijk's form has been good, um, and and his availability has been good. Um, he's only missed games through suspension this season, so that's all positive. And Joe Gomez is, is still around, and you know, bit bit of a, he's a little bit of the utility man, isn't he? At this moment in time, he's just sort of a little, well, where's he needed? Okay, left back against Toulouse or, or Luton, right back in other games, centre-back potentially in some games. So you've got those players at the moment. So you're not in a position where it's like, right, we need this body in that's just going to, you know, fill a gap for us. It's got now Now they can look at the right side and who's the, who's the one for the longer term that's going to be the difference maker for Liverpool as a centre-back because you, you, we have to accept that Matip, whether whether he has a great season, he might look. He might earn himself another contract, but he's still going to be thirty three, and he's still going to need someone to step up and replace him. Van Dijk's going to be a, you know thirty three in the summer. Um, thirty three or thirty two, so in his thirties anyway in the summer. Um, and Joe Gomez has got doubts obviously about around whether you know he's got the full trust of the manager to play a full season or you know even a, a sort of a regular run of games as centre back. So. Longer term, there's definitely a need for one. Is that longer term option available in January would be the question. Um, it might be, like I say, a young one. There's been a couple of players linked. Is it Moscardo? Was it, was, was it the guy or, um, who was linked? Uh, a young Brazilian lad. I think he... I, I, God, the, the, I've the lost count of these Brazilian. I've heard of yeah. Moscardo. I think it... Uh, Gabriel Moscardo. Yeah. Yeah, uh, Barado's a midfielder, is he, maybe? Um, yeah. Maybe one of them, but listen, that, that they're just names that have been been plucked. Um, yeah, I'm not I'm not suggesting that a puller in for for those players. It's just that if it's someone of that ilk, a, a really young sort of lad from South America who's going to come across, okay, that's that might that's an option. Or if it's a player that you know a longer term guy, I mean, it's, he isn't going to be. But let's say Levi Colwell was Chelsea just decided in January, right? We're ready, we're ready to get rid of him. We need to we need to change everything. Uh, he's available. Then that yeah, Liverpool might might look to do that, or you know, or, or uh, Piero Incapié from from um, from Bayer Leverkusen, you know, right? Okay, they're available. There we go. We'll, we'll we'll bring that forward and we'll make a make a move and, and give them six months to settle before they become a sort of an integral sort of player next season. They're the options. I I would lean. I'd be on the negative side of that one at the moment, but again, a lot depends on what the injury situation is like. Um, come come January and I think what Diaz showed as well a little bit and I suppose it's maybe it's a little bit different if you're in a, if you're buying an attacker than a, a defender but Diaz showed that you know even when you don't necessarily need the, the player it can give everyone a lift when you bring in a player and you show that sort of oh all oh, right okay we're actually we're adding another one for the squad as well like we're really having a, a good go at this um it might be a bit different if you're bringing in a sort of fifth sixth choice center half as opposed to a, you know another Jet healed forward, um, but they they are possibilities, and I wouldn't be I wouldn't be amazed if Liverpool done something there in in January. But I think I think it's going to have to be the right player now. It's not a situation where Liverpool are going to have to fix a problem um, in in January. It's it's where they can start looking at you know a longer term solution. No, and it's a position you kind of want the club to be in. You know, given when we're looking sort of at the prior season, thinking, my God, we're going to have to change so much just to get this side capable yeah. of changing the top again. But to be in a position for signings down the line and go, you know, lads, we only need to tweak this 
this and this here. Yeah. That is incredible, given, yeah. given what we all watched uh, last and look season. And look at what they've done with the age of the side as well. You know, you look at that, really, and you think, you know, look, Salah, you know, obviously, Alisson, yeah, you give, give him, obviously, but I think I think goalkeeper age is, is sort of a different age to, to outfield. Van Dijk and Matip. And then other than that, you know, you look at sort of, you know, prime age players, aren't you? You know, you sort of Trent, Trent 25, McAllister 24, Sobersly 23, Nunes 24, you know, Gakpo, Young, Diaz, um, Gravenberg, Curtis Jones, you know, just real sort of potential there. And then you haven't even, you know, you've got Elliot, you've got Bajetic, you've got potentially you've got someone like Ben Doken could be emerge as a, as, a, as a player, you've got Jarrell Kwanzaa as well. Um, so, yeah, you, there's a lot of, you know, a lot of players there that are of the age where you can think not only are they are they in their sort of they they they've got a real good age and experience behind them, but they've also got a little bit of room to get better as well. So there's there's, there's growth there's growth potential there in this Liverpool squad, and all of a sudden it looks far less sort of in need of you know an overhaul than it did 12 months ago, didn't it? You know, you if you think back to sort of 12 months ago, I said 12 months ago, not even that, um, April when they, they went to City. Oxlade, they had Oxlade Chamberlain. You thought, well, he's not long term. Kate is not long term. You know, Thiago probably isn't long term. Jordan Henderson not long term. Fabinho, James Milner. You know, Fabinho. You, you were looking at that, saying, "Wow, God, that's sort of seven or eight players there that you know are sort of come to the end of their or coming to the end of their shelf life." At the moment, I only really look at Liverpool squad at the moment and think maybe, maybe sort of Thiago, Matip. I would say probably the only two that I'd look, and even Matip's doing well enough at the moment to say, actually, do you know what? If Liverpool wanted to give him another year, you couldn't sort of argue at this moment in time. So I only really look at maybe two players in the squad at this moment, or taking quality out of it. You might have a, you might have an opinion on, okay, actually we can get a better player than Simicas or whoever. But age-wise, I don't look at anyone and think, why well, they're going to need replacing uh, very very soon. And even then, oh, big pardon. Even then, sort of Simicast had a very good game as well. The Etihad, so I you, you I almost. I, 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 wanted to <laughs> mention, I wanted to mention Simicast because listen, I'm as big a doubter as anyone of, of Simicast as a player generally. I, I wouldn't have played them at City. I would have played Joe Gomez because I would have been concerned about Simicast's concentration. There was nothing to be concerned about. He was he was excellent. I thought Simicast. I thought he had a really he had the kind of game that I thought he he, he couldn't have. In a game like that, you know, where he's, he didn't, he wasn't really getting forward. He wasn't really sort of, you know, um, bombing on and getting caught out of position. He just played left back really sensibly, and and you know, give him give credit where it's due. You know, it's not. It won't be the first time. It's not. The, it won't be the last time that I'm wrong about about something. That's that's Costa Simicast proving a few people wrong and good on him. Um, I thought he was one of Liverpool's best players actually in in on the day and um. Bodes well, doesn't it? With some big games coming up. No, absolutely. It bodes very well. Um, it seems like a perfectly positive place to end this latest instalment of Empire of the Cop inside. And Neil, thank you so much uh, for popping on again. It's been an absolute pleasure, uh, as always. Um, everyone can go and catch your work, of course, on Twitter or X, however you'd like to call it, at Neil Jones at Goal. And of course, as I mentioned earlier on, um, you do have the Substack covering Liverpool, where everyone can catch all the latest around Liverpool Football Club. It's a superb Substack at neilj.substack.com. Go read it, go subscribe, go enjoy it. Um, and of course, we've got our own uh, Substack at empirethecock.substack.com, where we will be releasing 
at this latest installment of the Empire of the Cop Insider with Neil Jones and, of course, on our YouTube. Do feel free to give a like, subscribe and leave a comment. Leave your thoughts on how Liverpool's season uh, is progressing. We'd love to hear your thoughts. Uh, this has been Empire of the Cop Insider. I've been Farrell Keeling. We've had the lovely Neil Jones. Take care. <laughs>